0: to you tonight what I'm going to do my best to present as a, uh, a very heartfelt, very meaningful Bible study to you tonight. Um, things you already know, but um, just want to kind of bring some things back to the surface. I'd like to go back maybe about six or seven months ago to that point. And um, if we were there, this would be along the lines of, of probably what I would be teaching I want to talk to you tonight this is what I want to title this presentation I, know I, I, I just a, a reminder why I am here I want that to be my title tonight reminder why I am here one of my favorite quotes of all time is Mark Twain who said the most two important days in your life is the day you were born and the day you find out why i don't believe there's anybody here tonight sitting in this building under the sound of my voice that wants to waste your life i believe all of us here tonight realize that god wants us god wants us uh, he wants our life. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's number one. Number two, in order to come into this full relationship with God, it takes discipline. Yes, it does. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, there has to be some time devoted to that God connection, if you will. There, there has to be friendship. There, there, there has to be relationship. And then number three, we owe this to God because of Calvary. I don't want us to ever forget Calvary. No matter what happens in our lifetime, in our circumstances of our life and all that, we cannot forget about Calvary. I'd like for us to focus on this all-important question. I'd like for all of you to focus on this individually. Don't apply it to anybody else in the, in the building. You just apply this to yourself But ask yourself right now in your head, why was I born? Why was I born? A second question I'd like for you to consider, it's a very significant question, but ask yourself, does my life matter? Does my life matter? And then a third question is a question of intention. I'd like for you to ask yourself tonight, what is my purpose? It may not be exactly thought of this way but I believe people have fretted over these three questions ever since the beginning of time. You may not ask them exactly that way but in in our minds there's been some format of these three questions. In fact I understand Eve in the Garden of Eden was insecure about whether her life had any meaning and Adam had to constantly reassure her, you're the only woman for me. There's no one else, trust me. This is our first question of existence. Why am I alive? Jeremiah essentially asked this question in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 18. He said, wherefore came I forth Out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. One translation said, why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? If you go back and read this entire passage, Jeremiah is just emotionally lost, if you read the whole thing he's irrevocably called to be a prophet and literally his lot as a prophet was to be literally a messenger of doom there cannot be a more thankless task his friends betrayed him his enemies were on his trail 24 7 the message god gives him to share is a wretched one and it fell on deaf ears So even one of God's chosen few can wonder about the purpose of life. We all know who Rick Warren is, who preaches often on this topic of Christian purpose. Quotes from a couple of modern-day philosophers and writers. One admitted, my life is a superb cast, but I can't figure out the plot. One man named Jack Harley put it this way, I hope life isn't a joke because I don't get it. Some people fall into materialism, a materialism mindset. They begin spending their entire lives at various retail stores or on eBay and such like. Their lives are filled with gadgets, things, fun. People indulge themselves in pleasure. Our world indulges itself in sex and vacations and drugs and gourmet food and all of that. King Solomon went down that road. Yes, he did. Rock stars who have all of those things in abundance, even movie stars who have all of those things in abundance are often found dead somewhere in a hotel room or somewhere else with a rope around their neck. Many times we seek fulfillment through success and achievement we'd like to get an Olympic gold medal because for the rest of your life, that defines you. I have to be real careful because of live stream and whatnot, but there is an Olympic medalist that lives in my subdivision that I live in. Come ask me after church what his name is. I'll tell you and I'll see if you remember him. He was on several covers of different magazines because of his medal. To be a gold medalist, even a silver a bronze is not shabby. To have a, a World Series ring, to have a college football championship ring, to say you're an Ironman, you, you went through all of that grueling process to come out on top and to swim so far and ride a bike in grueling conditions and run so far and all that. We've all come to learn that teams lose in sports or win. And then tumble to last place the following year. Anybody relate to that so far? (laughs) Listen to pastor for a moment everybody. If we find fulfillment from things. Then we find. That there are never. Enough things. Y'all bear with me with my lead into the bible study tonight now that we're past the intro but most of you have experienced this no doubt but kids often ask where do babies come from that scenario is good for some cute fumbling around with words and what do i say and try to pawn them off on the other parent and whatever actually they and we should want to know A much deeper thing why are there babies why does God keep causing new children to show up on this planet what is their purpose of existence for you and for me I think we all know how babies get here but why should be our main question why does God place us in this very precarious world why are we here I think it's a legitimate question. I think it's one that needs to be answered. If you've ever read through the purpose-driven life, and probably most of you have, you discover by the second chapter there's a huge paradigm shift. The whole argument is turned around. We're not here for any purpose of ours. Is everybody on board with that? We're not here for any purpose of ours, none at all. Instead, we were all created for His purpose, period. He puts us here for His reasons, for His purposes. And boy, that's frustrating sometimes, because He don't always tell you. And if He wants you to move to that next level that we say often... Sometimes he don't even tell you what that level is. There's two or three people that ought to be listening real close right now. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I feel you tonight. There's some of our leadership people here tonight, our ministry team people, I feel you here tonight, man. I get so wore out with this stuff sometimes. I, I just I don't even want to talk about it sometimes. Purpose, purpose, purpose. <laughs> but he puts us here for... His reasons for his purpose to meet needs and goals and objectives that are his, not ours. So to ask, Why am I here? and be thinking of myself as I ask the question is simply beside the point. We were created and we are here for him, for his purpose. Our foundational verse for tonight is Proverbs 16 and 4. The Lord hath made all things. Everybody say all things. The Lord has made all things for himself, the wise man said. That includes you and me. The word tells us in Psalm 139 that we're not an accident. I love it when when parents say that that last child they had was an accident. No it wasn't. I could have a lot of fun right here, but I feel a an, an eye coming from over here and say, like, Move on, move on, move on. So I'm gonna move on. God tells us in Psalm 139 that we are not an accident. God has never made anything, God has never made anything without a purpose. God planned you, He planned everything about you. God knew how and when and where you would be born. And He is also fully aware of the length of your days, including the exact time of your birth and even your death. That doesn't mean that God predestines the good and bad things that come to us. Good people are killed all the time. And our loving Heavenly Father is not the creator of those tragedies. Babies come into this world every day conceived outside of the framework of God's perfect will. And people leave this world under tragic circumstances every single day. But faithful, born-again Christians, committed, loyal children of God are ready to live in this kingdom, God's kingdom on earth, or the next kingdom, His kingdom in heaven. And so I believe God, in His master design, does allow some sad events to be among the random appearing tragedies that the body of Christ has to bear. We have freedom of choice and God has His loving will and we do have the enemy who comes in at the midnight hour and sows the, sows the weeds in God's garden and somehow all of these things blend together in a way we just have to accept. I do, I do know from my own experience, that hit-and-run drivers don't hit God's people without God's reluctant, very reluctant permission. But in the meantime, we're here for His purpose, not ours. So let's, let's get to the heart of why we're here. Really and truly, it's simple, it's very simple, and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us the whole entire story. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's the reason you're here. One translation said it this way long before. He laid down the earth's foundation. He had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Would you agree with me tonight? I think probably everybody sitting in this room tonight's a parent. I believe moms and dads have babies so they can love them. Nobody had to persuade me to love my kids. Nobody had to show them to me and let me live with them for a year or two to decide if I would love them or not. If I've ever experienced a true love at first sight. I'll tell you what, I, I really believe I, I was insanely in love with my kids before I even saw them, before they were ever even born. One of the most beautiful memories I have of Sister Murphy is when she was expecting our two children. So there's a beauty about that that I can't explain. But I do believe moms and dads have babies so they can have someone to love, so they can have their own to love. It's been very rare occasions, very rare occasions that I've ever even met somebody or heard of anybody that hated their children. But in a much greater way, God does the same thing. He allows us to be here so he can have an object, a recipient a reciprocal, if you will. Something he can pour his love into and then he gets it back. Kind of like your kids do you. That's why we're here. It gives him something to love. So we are here for his purpose. And his purpose is to lavish his love on us. To flood us with his love. To bathe us in it. To redeem us through it to restore us through it. He made us in order that we could be the object of His divine love. A man and his wife were supposed to go out to dinner with some friends one evening. The husband didn't want to go, but she refused to cancel. They postponed it twice already and tension was running high. She's out by the car all dressed up, fit to kill, while he's still inside putting on his necktie. When he comes out, she's crying. What's the matter? She tells him, I accidentally locked the keys in the car. Well, he just blows up. He has his Mount St. Helens moment and shouts at her How could somebody, how could God make somebody so beautiful, so stupid? And she comes right back at him. God made me beautiful so you would marry me. And he made me stupid so I would marry you. (laughs) You ladies are welcome to use that any time, and you're welcome. You're welcome. There's a few that's going to tell that story on the way home. (laughs) But God made us. God made us. So he could love us. Then we have the question of significance that I asked a few moments ago. Does my life matter? Does it matter? If if I don't write a new book each year or if I don't pastor a church that is continually growing, or I should say the church I pastor is not continually growing, or perhaps run some secular business that makes me and my partners very wealthy, am I a failure? Because that doesn't happen. It's interesting that, again, the prophet Jeremiah wonders that, but so does Isaiah. I read this verse to Sister Murphy a little while ago before we came to church. Isaiah said in Isaiah 49 and verse 4, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Elijah felt the same way after a lifetime of serving God. You remember his conversation he had with God sitting under the juniper tree when uh, Ahab and Jezebel were after him. There was a story from World War II where the Nazis forced prisoners to take all this rubble from a blown-up factory, and move it from point A to point B. The next day, they'd take the same wheelbarrows and put all the debris and bricks back to point A, then back across the street to point B. Back and forth, day after day, they were just keeping the prisoners busy, wearing them out, breaking their will. Some of the inmates with no purpose in life Just being mocked by the Germans for the emptiness of what they had to do got suicidal. Some of them actually tried to simply jump in front of the Gestapo guards wanting to get shot. To live a life without purpose, to live a life without significance, to them was worse than death. Psychologists tell us we can exist on different levels. One is survival. Just enduring, just day to day, just living from day to day. I sometimes think about the kids of of refugees around the world, living in camps in certain parts of the world. Virtually no food to eat, no water to drink. Their parents are dead, rapists lurk everywhere, people pillaging everything around. All these people, all these kids can do is hang on to a thread of life and hope. But then there's another level. It's a level that you and I live on. It's called success. Most of us live there because we really are the chosen people. Every, everybody here tonight has some element of money. Everyone has a home, a job, unless you're retired. We're in the top five percentile of the world of comfort on this planet. But are we happy? It takes more than surviving and it takes more than even success to give to us a purpose in life. So, do we matter? It's the next question. Do we, do we matter? Well, God made us because he wanted someone to love. Don't ever forget that. But there's even more than that. Notice what the Bible says. In Isaiah 44 and verse 2, it's not on the screen, but he said, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. And God piles on the good news with this. His investment for us is eternity. I want everybody to understand that here tonight. Psalm 33, 11, his plans, his plans endure forever. It doesn't stop here. His plans endure forever. His purposes last eternally so God says to each of us where everything else on this planet dies when it dies and that's the end of it we were made to live forever we were made to last forever God needed an eternal object on which he could bestow his love and kindness this should speak volumes to us about our value you and I make little baby promises to each other all the time. You know, it's I'll call you tonight, or I'll come help you out Saturday, or I'll I'll meet you for the holidays. I get this one fairly regular. I'll call you this week for lunch. Uh, but I believe the the second biggest promise we have, the second biggest promise we ever make, is on our wedding day. Listen. We tell somebody, we tell that, that special someone, you're, some of you are sitting next to that person right now. You are sitting next to that person right now. Brother James, you're sitting next to that person right now. Andre, you're sitting next to that person right now. Michelle, you're saying, I could go right up and down, up and down. We make the second biggest promise we'll ever make, and it's on our wedding day. We tell somebody for as long as we both shall live. As long as we're both here, I'll be here for you. I will love you that long. The duration of purpose gives dramatic power to that purpose. So my purpose in marrying you is not for the next year. My purpose in marrying you is not for the next ten years. Marrying you is not an experiment. I love you, and I promise to love you for the rest of my life or yours. That's what we say. So notice, we are on this earth for God's purpose, for God to love. We're here to learn these five specific purposes he has for us, and that's Worship and fellowship and discipleship and ministry and mission. And all of these are designed with the idea that it doesn't end here. All of these things are designed that we're going to live for an eternity. Every time a believer attends the funeral of a believer, he or she is reminded of the promise of everlasting life. There was a certain element of rejoicing at Bob Thompson's funeral and, and Leroy Alexander's funeral and Mary Edwards' funeral and my mother's funeral and, and many, many others because I know deep down in my heart the love for, that God had for these people did not stop when they died. Our stops for our spouse when we die, obviously. But God doesn't. For a child of God, death is just that briefest of flickers. It's just a moment, the twinkling of an eye. And then life in God's kingdom continues. Not only will you and I live forever, but we will never know anything else but life. There's no such thing for the Christian as being dead and knowing that you're dead. When you die right with God and die, you don't know you're dead. You just start living somewhere else. I believe it's just that simple. So, in terms of your soul and your awareness, you will always be alive. There's nothing to fear. Death, where's thy sting? Paul asked. Death, where's thy victory? But what this means is that our life here on earth, our purpose here, is just the briefest of warm-up acts. We will be God's love, His treasure, His trophy for eternity here. We're that here, but we'll be that there too. Someone said, this is only kindergarten. This is like preschool. It's like spring training. C.S. Lewis calls this entire journey on planet Earth one small false step, one misstep as we start out, one tiny stumble, then we pick ourselves up, thank God for caring for us, and begin the real glorious journey. Our whole life here is just that first baby step. So we learn about our purpose here so that we can please God by living them through out the ceaseless ages. You know, we sometimes look at pictures on the screen. Some of you that's been in church for a long time. You remember the old prophecy charts I used to stretch across the platform? Y'all remember that? Uh, I've thrown some things on the screen in past years. and But uh, all of us remember the the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2. The head of gold, the arms of silver, the breastplate of brass, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay. These are great world empires lasting hundreds of years. But then comes a little stone hewn out of the mountain without hands. It destroys all that and fills up the entire universe. That's God. It's the presence of God. All these nations don't really mean that much to him. What we have to understand is God's kingdom, it lasts forever and we're part of it. So this is hugely Significant. You are hugely significant. You are more significant to God than all these nations were. You have more significance to God than Rome did, than Greece did, than Babylon did, than Persia did. You have more significance to God than all the famous great kings and all the world conquerors and even all the presidents of the United States. You have more significance to God than even the United States of America. It's only existed for 244 years. But you and I are going to live for an eternity as an object of the love of God. You're going to achieve things in your lifespan and have a place in God's heart during that lifespan that can't even be calculated just reminding you while you're here. I like what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when this tent we live in, our body here on earth is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in, a home he himself has made, which will last forever. So God tells us he is eager to have us with him and to have us living in his presence forever and if we believe that to be true then life does have tremendous significance so that's why the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 6 I hope somebody hears what I'm about to read tonight forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding by the way this tells us how we should look at one another C.S. Lewis talks about how we just bump up against other people all the time. We, we work with them. We play with them. We say this or that to help or hurt them. So what's the big deal about that? Well, that person that you bump into and talk about and whatever else, that person is going to be forever in one of two kingdoms. Every person on this planet is going to end up in one of two kingdoms. Either the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of Satan. It gives cosmic hugeness to our daily encounters. We are significant. We're significant to God, and we're significant as well as our neighbors. You and I play a formative and critical role in the lives of others every single day of our lives. So now the third question tonight is, what is my purpose then? Got God's purpose, but what's mine? That's what King David asked God one day in Psalm 89, 47. He said, why did you create us for nothing? David asked that question. Deep down, a number of the most well-known shake-the-fist-at-heaven-atheists out there have admitted, if there isn't a God... Our lives really have no purpose. Frederick Nietzsche spent the last 11 years of his life insane as an atheist once he realized that. It drove him crazy. Bertrand Russell, one of the most renowned atheists from England, confessed in these words, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning, and purpose is irrelevant. Atheism takes away the significance because the 70 years the Bible talks about are now the proverbial drop in the bucket we get and also the purpose because there's no design. When we don't know something's purpose, that's when we are prone to use it wrongly. When we don't know something's purpose, that's when we are prone to use it wrongly. If we want to know what our purpose in life is, we have to ask the one who made us. We have to look in the owner's manual and go to the word of God for answers. In the beginning, God created us, the Bible said. I want you to notice Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. All of you can quote it, but I want to give you a little bit of a different meaning I want to shed more meaning on that verse I should say the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding the implication is knowing god results in every other kind of understanding knowing god results in every other kind of understanding I read today that you can hold a cat by the tail and you will come to understand some things that you would never understand any other way. I don't know how many of you see that picture, but it's pretty plain to me. If you didn't get it, go find a cat. Let me know how it goes. But you will glean an understanding from that that you won't get any other way. The same is true with God. There's some things about life you will never understand until you fully and wholly embrace a relationship with Him. You'll never understand it. So we find our purposes by getting to know God. He wants to love me, and I find my purpose by placing myself under that umbrella of the love of God. Colossians 1.16, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him and find its purpose in Him. Ephesians 1.11, it it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall process, He is working out everything and everyone. I find it interesting that the unbeliever never really comes face to face with this until they're dying. There was a very sweetheart of a lady who attended our church in Youngstown, and everybody that went to church tried everything they could do to try to encourage this man to just just come visit. Just come try. He didn't do it. Never did. Never came. Somebody from the family called me one night and said, Kenny's dying. And he wants to see you. So I went to the hospital. He had just enough strength to pick up a trembling hand. I'm not exaggerating the story. He picked up his hand. It was shaking. I could still see it. It was his right hand. I could bend over and could very, very, oh, I could hardly hear him speak. He put his hand behind my head and pulled it all the way down to my ear. It was literally resting on his mouth. And he whispered with every ounce of strength he could. Brother Murphy, would you pray for me? There's some things you never understand until you hold a cat by the tail. And there's, there's even... We, we, we have to embrace God. I believe everybody in the house tonight knows deep down inside that one of these days you're going to face him. And it behooves all of us to face him on the very best of terms, no matter what it costs. I read here and there. I'm not an avid reader, Uh, uh, envious of people like Brother Tenny that read 50 books a week or whatever it was. He, He learned how to speed read. I exaggerated the number, but not by much but I have waded into the shallow end of the theological pool and sometimes I really struggle and I'm as prone to failure as anyone here but the more I do know about God the more sure I am of my purpose as his child the more I know the more I like and I am more in love with the gospel than I've ever been in my life and if we want to know God's purpose for us we have to get to know him I can't make it easier than that because that's what it is. And if you're struggling with purpose tonight, because perhaps it's because God wants to reveal a side of him to you that you've never seen before. Sometimes you have to grab the cat by the tail. You know, marriages prosper when the couple knows each other. It's the same here. We may wish there was some other plan besides what we already know, and that's to worship and to read your Bible and to pray and to fellowship. But the, the simple truth is that's, that's how we come to know and love someone. I think people do with God what they try to do with marriage. I just wish I could figure out a way to love this person I'm married to. Well, maybe there's a part of them you don't know yet. And I believe there's a whole lot more of God that all of us could get to know. And it would only deepen our purpose and understanding of him. Bottom line tonight, I'm going to conclude with the real problem in our... in this whole thing about why I'm here. Just trying to remind you why you're here. But I want to to bring it down. Here's the underlying problem of the whole thing, especially for us Americans. Bottom line just too busy I don't have time i've often had people say to me through the years that pastor i'm just too busy for all this i've had more people tell me that i can't be at church like i want to be because i have to work a job i have people say that all the time i'd love to be there but i've got to work no you don't it's a choice it's a choice nobody's making you do that you don't have to there's jobs that would let you be off on weekends and at night and whatever. Probably wouldn't make as much money, but there are jobs. That being said, I can sometimes relate to that feeling due to fatigue and burnout and what have you. A full day looms, and some of us feel that I don't want to lose the first 15 minutes of that day reading the book, reading a book, especially the Bible. I've had a long week, and I don't want to toss out one whole Tuesday morning coming to prayer. It's just too much for 30 minutes. Or Saturday morning to come to men's prayer, even though it's only once a month. Or maybe even Wednesday night Bible study. You fill in the blank. Put out whatever you want in that blank that that prevents you. Whatever you use as reasoning for not really getting to know God better than you know Him right now. Put anything you want in that blank. But I know myself well enough to know that when I think that way, I'm thinking very, very small. And I want to be very blunt. I don't I don't mean to be hard and inconsiderate, and, and, and but I'm, I'm literally thinking stupid. It's kind of the way I put it. I'm thinking about right now, and I'm not thinking about eternity. We forget that we're God's object of love, not just here but there. And he made a promise to love us here, and he's really going to love us there. I love it when John said in his epistle, we're gonna see him as he is. Oh my, what a day. So sometimes I don't think about God's love for me. And it's we can chalk it up to human nature. Sometimes we don't consider how much our spouse loves us. Sometimes we don't consider how much our parents love us or our, our kids love us. We just we do we forget these things sometimes and it causes us to lose our purpose. I've been very transparent with you folks. I've struggled with low self-esteem virtually all my life, and I think sometimes I'm not that big of a deal as a husband or a pastor or a father or even a grandfather. I, I look at Noah and Joseph engaging Annie, who hung the moon, and is perfect in everything, and Papa's the grizzly bear that stumbles out of the office once in a while and roars at him and whatever. But there's times I have to go sit down and rewind the tape and have to persuade myself that I do matter. I do have value. And who am I to say that I'm not good enough or big enough or important enough or whatever for God to love because he's the one that made me and put me here. We should all walk out of here tonight feeling about 10 foot tall because God planned for you to be here. He did. He planned for you to be here, and he has a purpose for it. So when you're too busy for him to do all the good stuff he wants to do, then kind of hurts his feelings like it does. You know, I ask Sister Murphy virtually every night to go out on a date with me, and oftentimes she says, "No, I'm doing something with the boys or i'm doing I'm, I'm kidding about all that, but but we we know how it is sometimes when you you really have these amazing feelings for your spouse or your kids, and you want to do something just really special with them. I was able to surprise Sister Murphy the other night, and that's hard to do. I've done it twice, revolving around her birthday, and it's been amazing. But I was able to pull that off and just completely surprise her. I had Marcus and Cassie come to the house. We hid them in the house. She came in later, and they, I said, I have a surprise for you in this room. And she went in the room, and there they were. It was pretty cool. But you have these moments of just deep affection, That you want to show your spouse, your kids, your parents, whoever it may be. Y'all know what I'm saying. You want to send them the the flowers and all of that. And when they say, I'm too busy to eat with you tonight. Or I can't, my schedule, and you know, we've already had this planned, They can't drop what they're doing long enough to accept your gift of love and adoration. Some of you may relate to this as I'm concluding. But sometimes when your spouse is maybe heading out to work, has something like this ever happened, you you get a kiss goodbye, but it lasts about two seconds. You're getting a hug from them and instantly the body language changes into this mode of escape and of putting up roadblocks. Now, we're reasonable people here. We don't expect them to stop and kiss you for an half an hour. Although you may suggest that sometimes, but at least it'd be nice just to get a lingering hug and a kiss that was a total of maybe 10 or 15 seconds. And then they say, honey, let me go. I don't have time. I'm going to be late. And you say, you mean your entire schedule today hinges on these extra 10 seconds that I want with you? Is, is, it's that precise? Your whole space-time continuum will collapse? If you give me one more teeny tiny three second kiss. Anybody ever experienced that? It really doesn't look like it from here. But if you think real hard, (laughs) maybe you have. But if God is really real and if what the Bible says... Jesus did on the cross he really did and if God's purpose is to love me forever then it's foolish of me to think that everything revolves around my free few minutes that thinking it's totally upside down and it doesn't matter if you say it or if I say it when we say that we're wrong God loves us yes he does so we're here about two hours on Sunday, an hour on Wednesday. So that's three hours a week. For some, it's just too much. Kate can't, can't pull it off. So here's the last thing. You might be a seasoned Pentecostal Christian, born and bred. You might know all this stuff already. You may know all the stuff, everything already. Or you might be fairly new to this. You might be struggling. Your Christian life has been... Wiping out in recent months, either with a lot of sin or bad habits or just plain messing up through neglect. But no matter where you are on this spectrum, God has something special for you. If you're a seasoned Christian, he has a whole new deep experience more than you've ever imagined. If you're a seeker just checking it out, that's that's great. No obligation. But come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe you feel like you've been crashing and burning. Welcome home. God has a special place of honor for his prodigal sons and daughters. So it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. God has time tonight to love you more than you've ever been loved. And to care for you more than you've ever been cared for. Does anybody else here tonight love the Lord? Do you love Jesus? Do you enjoy and appreciate the value of being his object of love? Why don't we stand tonight and thank him for his never-ending, undying love? Let's thank him tonight. Jesus, we're so thankful for you tonight. To express and try to convey what we've just done here tonight has been truly an honor. It's been a pleasure. To communicate to people that no matter who we are, no matter what about us, you made us to have something to love. That's the only reason we're here. So you could have an object, something that could love you back. And I pray tonight, God, that you feel from Grace Church that element of love back. That we do have time, that we do value our relationship with you, that we value our times with you. and, And life wouldn't be the same without the time we have with you. And I pray tonight for those that are skeptical, for those that are hard. I pray that your love would penetrate their hardness, their, 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 that crust around them. I pray that the love of God would penetrate the rejection, the fear, even the pride, the loneliness, the despair. The love of God, the Bible said, is shed abroad in our heart, and it knows no limit once it's invited in. And I pray tonight that everybody here Even people watching on live stream tonight, God, could feel the beautiful, beautiful love of God. Thank you for loving us. And I pray tonight that you feel our love back. Thank you, God, for being so real in our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, thank the Lord. Beautiful turnout here tonight. Thank you all so very much for coming. It's been a pleasure to share with you the Word of God. God bless you tonight. If you feel, too, fellowship with one another, engage somebody. God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday morning.